everyone, and welcome to the 18th episode of Not Just Numbers, Honest Conversations with a Financial Advisor and Lawyer. I am Madison DeMora, and I am here with Mike Gary. Mike is the financial advisor and the CFP and the founder and the CEO of Yardley Wealth Management. He is also an estate planning lawyer, and his law firm is Yardley Estate Planning. Hey, Mike. Hey, Maddie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Get all your shopping done for the holidays? I wish I could say I did. Um, I'm definitely one of those last minute people. I definitely have a head start, but, you know, just the last minute things. Yep. I still Luckily, need to buy something. So- yeah. I still need to buy something for our Pollyanna, which is Sunday. Oh, okay. All right. We are going to discuss an article. The article is bonds versus bond funds, how higher rates are changing the calculation. And this is an article from the Wall Street Journal, and it is written by Heather Gillers. So like previously, I will read a little summary and ask Mike some questions, and you can always find the link to the article in the description. So here is the summary. The article discusses the ongoing debate between buying individual bonds or bond mutual funds in the current era of higher interest rates. During low rate periods, mutual funds were favored, but risks became evident with rising rates. Investors now consider individual bonds for capital protection, despite drawbacks like concentration risks and active management requirements The article compares the performance of both options, highlighting the ease of buying and selling funds and the advantages of diversification and professional management. It suggests investors may opt for a combination or hybrid products. Regardless of the choice, the article emphasizes the gains will come from interest payments with timing being crucial in the current high interest rate environment. And it's funny that that article is not from that long ago. And the 10 year treasury has gone down from 5% to 4% in that time. So the, and it seemed like the fed yesterday uh, was saying that the era of uh, rate increases is over. um, And the market seems to have priced in rate cuts for next year. Uh, right now, we're, we're doing this on December 14th. The 10-year bond is paying 3.93%. So just like six weeks or so ago, it briefly topped over 5%, um, you know, which is the highest it had been in a while. So it's interesting to see how these things change. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, in the short run, interest rates are as easy to predict as stock movements, which means that no one can do them with any kind of regularity or consistency. Yeah. All right. So let's get on to these questions, Matt. I know okay. you have some good ones for me. All right. In the current era of higher interest rates, what factors do you think make individual bonds more appealing to investors compared to bond mutual funds? So I think one of the things that led people to start buying uh, bond individual bonds and like CDs is, you know, starting a year and a half ago or almost two years ago now, when the Fed started raising rates, you could get more than one or two percent on a bond. So you could see why, you know, in two thousand and 
17 if if rates were one percent why people weren't like going to rush out and lock up their money for one percent for five years now that uh some of those bonds pay four percent or um five percent you could see why somebody would would lock that in right like that makes sense totally all right so the article mentions the drawbacks of buying individual bonds such as concentration risk and the need for active management. How might investors address these challenges if they choose to go for individual bonds? Sure. So we we generally don't recommend individual bonds because of the concentration risk um, and how expensive it is to buy bonds on your own. Um, so by concentration risk, like most people have a limited amount of money, right? So if you only have a certain amount of money to buy bonds, it is it it gets hard to buy bonds that are diversified. So, say you have a million dollar portfolio and you want to have three hundred thousand dollars in bonds. Well, bonds are traded in the thousand um, dollar, you know, like per thousand dollar, right? So then you would only have at the most. You know, you could buy three hundred one thousand dollar bonds, but nobody's going to do that. Doesn't make any sense. You know, you, there are all sorts of bonds you can invest in: just treasuries, agencies, corporate bonds, muni bonds, a bunch of different types of types of bonds. They all have different risk return characteristics. If you are going to buy individual bonds, you're going to be limited by the amount of money you have to deploy. And so, if you were just if if you had that. Hundred the million dollar portfolio and three hundred thousand dollars was going to go into bonds, and you wanted to buy individual bonds, you'd have to really stick with either treasuries or insured munis to make sure to make sure that you got your money back, right? Because corporate bonds and munis that aren't insured can default, and you would get nothing back. And the bond port or your portfolio is supposed to be the safe part. So, if if you're going to buy individual bonds, that means there's giant categories that offer higher returns that you can't invest in at all, or you shouldn't invest in at all because you could lose your money. All right. right. Diversification is highlighted as an advantage of bond funds. How important do you think diversification is in mitigating risks? And what are the potential downsides of relying on diversification? Yeah. So the reason that diversification is a good thing, you know, there used to be an old adage in Wall Street, diversification is the only free lunch you get in investing, right? Because you can diversify and um, reduce a lot of risk. So for bonds, if you were buy bond funds with your three with that $300,000 portfolio, maybe you'd buy some treasuries or a fund that's an investment grade bond fund. Maybe you'd buy a muni bond fund, depending if you have a taxable account. Um, and then you could buy other bond funds that that might pay more, right, than, than those. And you could have three or four funds make up that $300,000. You could buy international funds. Um, you know, and so you would have small pieces of hundreds or thousands of funds instead of buying three treasuries or six treasuries. And so you can get a lot more 
diversification in terms of like the issuer and the interest rate and the maturity and the duration, you, you could get a lot for that. Um, and uh, I think it's worth it. The other thing in buying funds that's a little bit different is, yes, you pay for that investment manager. So you're going to pay a tenth of a percent uh, or maybe as much as two tenths of a percent. Um, but not a lot more than that. Bond funds are much cheaper than most stock funds. And if you go to buy bonds on your own, you buy them through a typical like um, discount brokerage firm like Schwab or a mutual fund company like Fidelity, you can buy bonds and it's easy now. Um, the problem is you're buying them from the inventory of those of those fund companies and they are making money off you that is much, much, much more than the amount that you're going to be paying a fund manager, right? Because those places deal with bond traders, and they're they're going to have um, they're going to buy bonds like by the millions. And if you want to buy a twenty five thousand dollar piece or a fifty thousand dollar piece, even a hundred or or five hundred thousand dollar piece, you know it it's the difference between buying wholesale and buying retail. You're going to pay more. Somebody at Schwab has has to buy those and sell those. Somebody's going to monitor the website, and they're going to make money from that. So it's easier than ever to buy individual bonds, and it's cheaper than it used to be, but it's not as cheap as it is, say, buying a stock where there's no commission and you know the payment for order flow is going to be a really, really small amount. Yeah. So what's the difference between stock mutual funds and bond mutual funds? Yeah. I mean, the difference is a stock mutual fund buys stocks and a bond mm-hmm. mutual fund buys bonds. Yeah. So it's, and, yeah. Yep. And then there are other funds that are that they call balanced funds or uh, a bunch of different names for them that might have both. Right. So say that that um, 60 40 portfolio that we talk about all the time. There are plenty of mutual funds um, that where you can buy a 60 40 allocation. So you can buy one fund that um, typically will buy other funds that it holds, uh, but you only see that one fund and you only purchase that one fund and somebody else manages that collection of other funds. Okay. It's a good question. Yeah. All right. So the article discusses the ease of buying and selling bond funds, especially in small quantities. How does liquidity factor into your investment decisions? And what are the trade-offs between liquidity and potential returns? Sure. So, you know, like the bond funds are are generally very liquid. You could buy and sell them and, and it's pretty easy. Um, buying individual bonds, treasuries are are the most liquid security there is. Uh, they're they're the, the easiest thing to turn to cash or to buy with cash. But then other bonds, it's different. Like there are, you know, what there's thousands of stocks. There are millions of bonds out there. Um, you know, think of every township, every school district, every state, most publicly traded companies, most countries all issue bonds. There are all sorts of bonds. And so the treasury, which has has the most bonds, they're really liquid. But like lower Makefield Township bonds or Yardley Barrow bonds, they might not be as liquid. Like it might be harder to buy and sell them. 
And the the, the thing about liquidity is, um, and why liquidity is an issue is that um, when you when you buy want to go buy a treasury or you want to sell a treasury and you see what the price is, you, you know that you're going to get that. If you want to sell a Yardley Barrow bond, you might not be a, a, an active buyer. You might have to wait, or you might get get people to bid on it, and it might not be that they might not bid at prices that you want to pay. Um, and so, liquidity is not just like turning into cash, but it's like the ease of turning into cash and the threat of loss in turning something into cash. And so, while you have treasuries of the most liquid securities on earth. There's a lot of other bonds that aren't that liquid. So if you want to, if you want to buy uh, a group of individual bonds, and you and you go away from treasuries and agencies and um, real big company or state bonds, you could have an issue of um, selling them when you want to at a price that you think is reasonable. Yep. Okay. So. Professional management is cited as a benefit of bond funds. Do you think the potential advantages of professional management outweigh the costs associated with fund fees? I do. Uh, fund fees now are pretty low. Uh, you know, if you if you asked me this twenty years ago, it would be a, a harder harder choice. But right now, for 10 or 20 basis points, which is like one-tenth of a percent or two-tenths of one percent uh, per year, to be able to have a diversified portfolio and to get institutional pricing, you know, and have all, by diversified, I mean, across issuers, across types of bonds, across maturities, across durations, um, you know, you could have a portfolio that is really suits your needs, whatever those needs are. Uh, for a really small amount of money. Okay. So the article mentions tax considerations for bondholders. How might tax implications influence your decision to invest in individual bonds or bond funds? When you buy individual bonds, you have a little bit more control over what the taxes are going to be because you make the decisions to buy and sell them. And so if you have any gains from selling them, uh, or if you have taxes from dividends and interest that are paid, you know when you're buying them what that's going to be. So that is an, uh, a small advantage uh, in buying an individual bond. When you buy a bond fund, you, you know, you're know you going to take what you get. So if you buy a muni fund, there should be um, no taxes to it. But in other uh, taxable bonds funds, you know, they're going to be buying funds, they're going to be maturing, some are going to be selling. Um, they have to have some liquidity for when people are buying and selling the fund. Uh, and so there there will be a little bit of uh, tax uh, based on that. Okay. Shouldn't be a whole lot most of the time, you know, if you're buying a big, big fund, but okay. yes. All right. So the article suggests that a combination of both individual bonds and bond funds might be a viable approach. In what situations do you think this hybrid strategy could be beneficial? I think a hybrid strategy could be beneficial if the the purpose of part of your bond portfolio is for um, buying something in a specific time and place. So 
say you were um say you remember that remember we did the podcast about the the guy who put the money in the crypto and lost all of it in that situation right so that was in the fall if if he knew he wanted to purchase land or or start construction on a house in six months he could have bought a six-month treasury bill outside of his regular portfolio that has a mix of stock and bond funds and then that money would have been safe and it would have matured he could have bought one that matured probably the exact day that he wanted to, or certainly within a couple of days or a week. Um, and so that would be a real good use of having an individual bond. Same thing for like uh, CDs. If you know that you're going to have a need for money at a certain time in the future, um, and it's very specific, and you don't want the risk of loss, then buying an insured um, uni bond or a guaranteed bond like a treasury or a CD it is the right thing to do. Okay. How important do you think timing is in making investment decisions, especially in the context of interest rate fluctuations? What factors would you consider when deciding the right time to invest in bonds or bond funds? I would say that um, people cannot consistently know when to time the market. And the idea of moving to your portfolio the right allocation is once you know it's the right allocation, you should make the move. Okay. So if you are moving money from one place to another, or if you're starting an investment, if you know the allocation should be a certain thing, that the thing that makes the most sense is to move that right away. Um, stock and bond movements are uh, in the short run, unpredictable, and it's impossible to time with regularity and consistency. Everybody gets lucky, right? Somebody's going to win the lottery tonight, right? Um, But if you're going to think like, oh, well, I'm going to wait for rates to do something, um, you know, nobody saw the the 10-year treasury going down from a little over five to under four in such a short amount of time in the last six weeks or, or two months or whatever it's been. It's been a short time to make that big of a move. And before that, it was a big move to go from four to five percent, right? And yeah. that wasn't a widely anticipated. Yeah. So, the the best idea is once you know what you want to do, take the steps to get there. It's like a, your own timing. There's no yes. there's no perfect timing. Like do it December fifteenth yeah. at twelve o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the only time that would would work is like, hey, if I I'm going to take my lunch hour to to read change my portfolio and yeah. I have a little bit of time on Friday yeah. at 12 o'clock. I'm yeah. going to do it then. Okay. Yep. How much should people rely on bonds? Can you have too much in bonds? Did you say you saw another article about people using them more or maybe even more than they should? Yes. So now that bonds um, pay more than zero, although 4% is not huge. Um there's an article in the in the paper yesterday saying, and it quotes people in their 50s saying they want to get a, a portfolio of bonds big enough so that all of their expenses in retirement will will go, will be paid for by uh, guaranteed bonds. And that's a lovely sentiment, but it's um not going to work for almost everybody. The reason is those bonds are not going to keep up with inflation, right? So they're not going to grow. That 
10-year treasury that yields 4%, it's taxable, right? So people are going to lose 25 to 40% to taxes. Mm-hmm. And inflation, while coming down a lot, is still running at 3.1%, right? So that 10-year treasury is not going to keep up with inflation after taxes. So if you get your portfolio, at, say you're in your mid-50s and you want to build this portfolio to last for the rest of your life, and you have a reasonable expectation of getting into your 80s or 90s, that portfolio, when you're in your 80s and 90s, is going to throw off peanuts of money compared to what it would when you when you first got it together. So the only people that would work for are people who are really, really rich, right? Sure, if you have $100 million, you could do that and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Or people who are going to rely mostly on social security or pensions and the bonds will provide a little bit of interest. So sure, my grandparents, you know, who lived a long time ago, didn't buy any kind of stocks. They they just had cash and CDs. They didn't spend that much money, right? They had pensions and social security and they didn't spend anything. Um, People now, especially people, who are quoted in Wall Street Journal articles in their 50s, right? So they're probably in pretty good financial shape. Um, It it probably gives them comfort to think that they could have this bond portfolio, but it it would be a disastrous decision for most people, just disastrous. The difference, here's an example. Rachel's grandfather had a a real good job and he had a pension and and it paid a big percent of his salary when he retired in 1971. That was $6,000, right? So that's 50 years ago. So these 50-year-olds who could live to be 100, right? There's a uh, not a crazy chance. They could, right? Think of the difference between that $6,000 pension 50 years ago and what you would need to live on, even like the basic standard of living here, right? That $6,000 is going to be a rounding error when you're spending these are going to be in 50 years. It's really um, short-sighted. It's yeah. really not a good idea. Okay. So you could rely too much on bonds. You know, bonds have a, a time and place, right? Most people can't handle the volatility of an all-stock portfolio. I get that. Um, and so most people need to have some bonds to cushion the volatility, especially if they're taking withdrawals that are sizable or material compared to how much they have. But you can't go overboard because that's the part of your portfolio that that's not really going to increase that much, you know, and the value over time is going to steadily erode. So yes, if you need to have 20, 30, 40%, even 50% in bonds because you need to sleep at night, that's okay. But once you go above that 50% in bonds part, you're going to run into real issues if you expect to have that for a long period of time. Okay. For more information on Yardsley Wealth Management or Yardley Estate Planning, you could visit our website at yardsleywealth.net and yardleyestate.net. You can also follow us on socials at Yardsley Wealth Management. This podcast has been produced by Madison Demora and Mike Gary with the technical and artistic help from Poe Productions. Thank you.